Caroline Granger grew up on the farm fields of Prince Edward County, south of Belleville, Ontario. That is, until her life took a sharp turn, and she left for Paris, France, to pursue modeling and acting. Caroline would eventually, years later, return to the homestead, with three children in tow, and a crazy idea. That we would try to plant a couple, ten acres of vineyards, and see what happens, see how they grow. Uh, today, there are 60 acres on the farm. Uh, the whole project took on a life of its own, as projects sometimes do. Today, Caroline and her daughter Maggie run the Grange of Prince Edward Vineyards and Estate Winery, a thriving business that only makes wine from fruit grown on the farm. Caroline says there were some challenges starting a vineyard in an area where grapes hadn't been grown before, including vermin attacks and a late spring frost in 2006 that wiped out 90% of her crop. But the word failure was not in Caroline's vocabulary. I'd love to take the word failure out of the English language. If we say that when you try something and it doesn't work out the way you hoped, you've failed. This wouldn't exist. I cannot tell you how many times I failed. It didn't work. But when you plant this many plants, you no longer have the option to say, I blew it. Instead, you have to change your mindset and say, wow, that didn't work. What can I do next? On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Caroline discusses how she built a successful winery from the soil up and how she made sure her voice was heard in an industry dominated by men. Vintner Caroline Granger on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Edward County, where we're meeting with Caroline Granger, the owner of the Grange of Prince Edward Estate Vineyard and Winery. Caroline, thank you so much for having us today. Well, you know, I am delighted you are here. I'm, I'm a little suspicious you may have brought this beautiful day with you <laughs> because we almost did this before and there was a storm. And when I was looking earlier this week, they were saying thunderstorms and I thought, but it's a lovely day, and it is lovely to have you here. Oh, I got to tell you, we were we were disappointed that it didn't work out last time, but so happy to be here on this beautiful day with you. Let's uh, let's get started. How did this happen? How did you end up at such a beautiful place? What what is your background? Um, so we're on the farm that I grew up on. My father got the farm when his children were young. I was the oldest of the children. He, at that time, I believe, really wanted to instill in us the feeling that land was important. If you had land, no matter what, you could take care of yourself. I recall being far less impressed when I was young. I loved the horses. I could live with the hay. I hated taking rocks out of the garden. Those same rocks that I hated, right? Because this 
part of Ontario, this place is actually known for its very, very marginal rocky soils. So Hillier's first and best crop is always rocks. And farms in Prince Edward County generally, but Hillier particularly, um, haven't, weren't really flourishing in the seventies or eighties because, um, the soils on this side of the island don't produce the same kind of yields that you see in other parts of Canada when you're trying to look at industrial farming. So, um, I left. Lots of farm kids leave. I left dramatically. I went all the way to Paris Mm -hmm. and became an actress, which of course prepares you for farming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wait around a lot. Did you play a farmer? No. No, most of the time I played an au pair, oddly. But um, life sort of led me on a big circle. So I, I lived in Paris, but I traveled around the world for a decade and landed back in New York uh, where I had my daughter and decided that I needed a a lifestyle change. And uh, so we moved away from Manhattan and Forest Hills and we went to Michigan where I taught oddly young children with learning disabilities to prepare them for school and had my second child there. I had my third child in Guelph, so I had started to work my way back toward the farm. And it was shortly after Quentin was born that I decided to move back to the farm and um, give my children a chance to experience the same kinds of things that I had experienced growing up. Uh, I only left one thing behind when I moved back here. (laughs) So I was a single mother, three children, um, and pretty determined to uh, do something agricultural, which was a little bit lost on me at the time in the the frantic um, sort of change that we were going through. Uh, But I had a very small idea and I... I guess it was 99, maybe, that we would try to plant a couple 10 acres of vineyards and see what happened, see how they grew. Uh, Today, there are 60 acres on the farm. Uh, The whole project took on a life of its own, as projects sometimes do. But what I think the last 20 years have taught me um, more than anything else. And there are lots of lessons when you're trying to grow a business. So I was trying to develop vineyards and winery in a place where they didn't exist, right? There weren't any in Prince Edward County. I was trying to discover what Prince Edward County wines might taste like. I was also a woman in what was at that time a very male-dominated industry. I sat on a number of boards, and I was always the only woman 
on the board. And that's interesting to me. So as, as the only woman on a board, how do you make sure that your, your voice is heard? And, and how did that influence you and your, your career? In the beginning, it was a little daunting to be in rooms that were full of experienced farmers, experienced winery owners. But it was kind of lucky because they weren't f- from my region. Everyone here was as new as I was. So it was Niagara folks, and they were more experienced, but they didn't know what I knew. I was discovering new things all the time and adapting. And I think that that resilience and that adaptability that I needed to find as I discovered how to farm grapes here helped with the interactions with the board. And it also helped because it was only in part, um, the woman part. The other part was everyone just thought I was crazy for trying to grow grapes in Prince Edward County. And that's, you know, I, I remember in the early years, I'd walk into board meetings in Niagara and they'd say, well, how is it growing grapes in Siberia this year? Uh. And then the weather changed and they got a little Siberia of their own. And somehow, you know, we, we found our way to equality in, in, as, as regions. I think that the change or where I found my place sort of originally on these all male boards was I discovered that my voice being a unique voice often could present a challenging or difficult discussion topic with less contention, right? Because I was almost the outsider. And that translated over the years into some pretty kick-ass governance skills, right? Like I, 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 there's no moss growing under my feet. I'm like, I get how this works. So now most of the time, the work that I do is actually centered around governance. I spend a lot of time talking about how to build consensus, why you value diverse opinions, how they get us all to better decisions in the end. And I think if you went back to some of those boards where early on I was told I was the token girl or I was the, um, um, oh, what was, there was one board who, one of the, the fellows when I was promoted to chair of governance, he said, well, what would we call you? Because they're used to addressing the chair as sir. And I said, sir, will be fine with me, actually. No worries. I don't want to rock any boats here. Whatever you pick is absolutely, totally okay. (laughs) So I think that through it all, I've always found it at least a little bit amusing. Um, And that helps you through the times when you are fighting with yourself, wondering if you're good enough. I, I think all girls, all women are at least to some degree saddled with the, we should be pretty close to perfect if we're going to do a job. 
So how do you think we foster that confidence, that, that spirit to just really go for what you want and not be so concerned about failing, but really just diving in and having that confidence to be who you want to be? It's a tough question, right? It actually touches me because that's fundamental. And I think it's cultural. And I think that I hate to say it, but too often it's we as mothers who begin that cycle for our girls and our boys, because for hundreds of years, probably more, we've always encouraged the risk-taking element of boys and we've nurtured their courage but we've protected our girls and we've looked for some very careful, very precise skills and we admire and reward them. When my children were little, I was lucky. I had a girl first and then two boys. And the one and only thing that I kept in my mind because I was one of those crazy mothers who would have secretly loved to wrap them all up in cotton batten. It's like the, the, the one thing you could never bear to lose is the thing you have to protect the most, right? And that urge was so deep in me. And I had a girl first and she was so tiny and perfect. And I read a phrase, she wouldn't have been you, you know, it would have been early when I was back from the hospital and the line was, it is better for your child to break their arm than to have you break their courage. So every time that my beautiful daughter who loved to climb would start to climb and my mind would scream, it's not safe. I'd go, arm, not courage. Wow, look how high you're climbing, right? You know, you're right. Uh, children just aren't given enough opportunities anymore to really find out how strong they are. We have moved so f far away from allowing our children to take risks that we may see further impacts on boys down the road, right? I'm sure you have seen it in the schools. I notice it with my sister. When I was a kid, we roamed this farm. If it was daylight, we had chores to do. And then if you were hanging around, there'd be more chores to do. So you usually made yourself scarce, right? We explored the farm. We rode horses. We got up to all kinds of mischief, but we learned lots of things about what we could and couldn't do or what we could learn to do through our own experience, right? Which was powerful. Yeah. Um, falling down with no one to pick yourself up is a really important thing to happen to children because suddenly you're resilient, right? You understand that you have the ability to make your world better and that you're stronger than you think. So what are your views on mentorship? We hear a lot these days about mentoring and it still seems that mentoring works 
better for men than it does for women. And I wonder if it isn't because that bringing up system is, is uh, designed for a hierarchical system that actually sort of still works better for men's lives and men's personalities and, and the way that men interact. So I wonder if we don't have to, maybe we need womentering <laughs> or something along those lines. I think my experience has been that um, women need to find their courage. They don't need to be led along and pushed at a door. They need that that feeling that they're in a safe place and that they are strong enough and fast enough and good enough to do whatever they want to do. Absolutely. And you know, I'd, I'd love your opinion on something else around failure. You know, I think, I think with women, you know, sometimes we're so afraid of that failure that we don't want to take the risk. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. I'd love to take the word failure out of the English language. In truth, people don't realize it. I, I uh, taught a small course on risk management. And the first thing I said to the class, which happened to be all women, young women, I said, y'all don't know this, but you're actually expert risk managers. And the other thing that you are expert at, because you've been doing it since you were born, is figuring out how to do things. And the way you do that is by trying something and determining it if it was the best way to do it or not, right? If we say that when you try something and it doesn't work out the way you hoped, you've failed, this wouldn't exist. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I failed. It didn't work. But when you plant this many plants, you no longer have the option to say, I blew it. Instead, you have to change your mindset and say, wow, that didn't work. What can I do next? Because in the end, there is only one answer that I can accept. I must find a way to get crop because if I can't find a way to get crop, I can't make wine because I only make wine from fruit I grow on this farm. That's the model. So there isn't fail. There are making mistakes. There are misunderstandings. There's the need to learn. How do you learn if you don't try? So it's continuous learning. It's I'm still learning. I am still discovering new ways to do things. I am personally discovering new ways to be. I think that it is a mistake for any of us to ever think we're done, right? Our lives are incredibly short as it is. And too often 
we say after 20 or 25 years, well, you know, we've done all this studying we have to do. We've decided what we're going to be. And now we'll get on with the business of being a grown-up. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. So you've built this incredible winery. Do you ever see yourself doing anything else? Yep. Yeah. I, I can see myself doing all kinds of things. I have books I want to write. I actually would love to learn how to um, read Gaelic. I think it's interesting. It's so weird. I speak French and Italian and English, and I think I would love to learn a really unusual language. I um, love gardening. I I've been exploring for the last two years um, the properties of what is considered weeds, like the local fauna. I want to understand the properties of the plants better. I make some natural medicines for my family. I would love to study that more. I'd like to quilt. I love to knit. <laughs> it, 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 it comes around to that if we stay curious and we find things we love to do, but I actually don't have cable. So if you could go back and, and visit a 20-year-old version of yourself, uh, what would that conversation look like? What, what kind of advice would you be giving? There were some bad things that happened to that 20-year-old that were on the edge of happening if I went back there. If I told her not to or to be careful, or to avoid certain things, I probably certainly would not be sitting here today. So I think I'd let her be. The only thing I'd say is be brave. So, so have courage, be resilient. Yeah, it's, it's always just one foot in front of the other. Right Before you know it, whatever it is you were trying to walk away from is far behind you, or what you were walking to is right in front of you. Caroline, I, I just want to say thank you so much for having us here today, for chatting with us, and for being so welcoming. Oh, we should probably go and try some wine now, shouldn't we? <laughs> well, well I've, I never say no to wine. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Dr. Kathy Fay is from Wishart, Saskatchewan, but she's a long way from the prairies now as the assistant director of a major U.S. Center for Preserving the History of Psychology in Akron, Ohio. It's there she's been busy designing exhibits for the now reopened National Museum of Psychology. Dr. Fay also talks to guest host Jody Cairns about her program I Am Psyched, an exhibit designed for girls that focuses on the much underrepresented contributions made by women of color to psychology. Dr. Kathy Fay 
on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.